Thanks, Paul. If you're visiting, welcome. Um, we're going to jump into Romans in just a minute. Totally off topic. I just thought of this. Cheryl and I used to travel a lot, and, and churches had pews. You old people remember what they are. You young people are going to have to look it up on Wikipedia or something like that. Remember what a church pew was. And many times, all the front four pews would uh, be empty, and I had a system developed. I actually drew up plans for a patent of a congregation cruncher. You ever been to a jewelry store? Those are probably passe, too, where they had watches. Oh, I'm 0 for 3. Um, and, and, you, and they had cabinets where you punch a little button and the things would roll forward. Well, I figured we could come up with something for churches where the pews are all empty up front, and you hit that button, and thump, 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 thump. Of course, if someone's up front, well, we're going to lose them to the Methodists that way. But anyway, uh, but, but there's no pews anymore, so that's not going to work. Uh, if you're here as a visitor, as I said, thank you for coming. Uh, we're going through the book of Romans. Don't let this scare you off. This is mostly uh, large print texts, so, you'll be able, so I'll be able to see what's happening uh, and be able to read Scripture. So uh, let's jump right in. If you have a Bible, please open it up to Romans chapter 2. If you have one of these electronic devices, make sure you find something other than ESPN. Uh, and I wanted to do a little bit of structure. I don't want to overplay this because, you know, uh, this is like school. But um, a little bit of structure to this, this book. It's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Rome. So don't get over the top about this. Just mainly so you can see that the book is all about the righteousness of God. It's all about the righteousness of God. In the first three chapters, it's all about unrighteousness, how we as people don't have that. And so you can see how the book is going to flow from here. And all those fancy words that are, where's my little doobrief? Oh, there it is. Like justification and sanctification. Let me say this word about terminology. A lot of folks will visit church for the first time and hear words that are kind of unfamiliar to them. Guys, well, the world's like that. I, I work a little bit with IT. I'm not an IT person, but the, the job in which I work has to do with IT. And they have a whole bunch of secret words and handshakes and terminology and stuff like that. And so does farming, and so does medicine, and that's the, it's kind of the way it is. So whenever we encounter a strange or odd word, I'm going to try to explain that for you, okay? So again, to the structure, the first three chapters of the book, we're talking about the unrighteousness of all people, where we're at, okay? The whole world, all right? And then into chapter 2, which we covered a little bit last week, the conscience, and now we're headed to the Jews, what Paul calls, as a Jew, the Jew. And then how Jew, Jews and Gentiles, the world together, is falls short of God's glory. And then, in chapter 3, we launch into the, what I call, that was the bad news, this is the good news. So, last week, um, we hit this section about conscience and the law, and I wanted to emphasize a couple of points. Uh, just real quickly, then we'll move on into chapter, uh, the rest of chapter 2. We'll read it and then pray. Um, did it go away? Where it went? Okay, these two. Um, works for salvation. When you read some of those passages, it kind of looks like, oh gosh, he says, if you can keep the law, here's your end, eternal life, and if not, judgment. Well, let me just say, that's the world's perspective. Paul makes it very, very clear that you cannot be saved by obeying the law. It says in Galatians 3.22, if a law could have been given, that would give life. God would have done that. But it ain't happening. That won't work. Because no one can keep the law and be a perfectly holy person. I was reflecting on a book I, I plan to reread. I won't give you the whole long story. It's by 
there is a Japanese Christian author of the early 20th century uh, named Akayo Miura, uh, a lady. And she wrote a book called Shayakari Pass. They made it into a film. Uh, long story short, it starts out with the premise this guy says, I can save myself by keeping the law. And guess what? He found out he couldn't do it. And the whole world's tried to do that. But if you say you can do it, there you go. You give it a shot. That's what Paul says. It's not going to work because you realize that you cannot work your way into heaven. And Paul makes that abundantly clear in the rest of the book. And secondly, judgment. You see some discussion in that part about judgment. God is going to judge our works. He is. He's going to judge what we do. Not for our destiny. That destiny is determined. If you've believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've received him and what he's done, you have a home with God forever. That's guaranteed. The flip side of that is John chapter 3, not just verse 16, but 17 and 18, you're going from there. Your destiny is already determined if you have not believed in Jesus. He that has not believed is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. So that destiny is already set. But for the believer, there will be a judgment. It's called the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3 describes that. You can read that later. Where we will receive reward or rebuke for the things we did or didn't do. At the end of time, the end of human history, Revelation chapter 20, there is a great white throne of judgment for those that rejected Jesus. And they will be judged. So don't forget that we received Jesus, but God's still looking and the things that we do matter. Okay, let's move on to our, our next section. Uh, the Jews and unrighteousness. And then uh, chapter 3, we're going to find out the, together that the whole world is under sin. And then the good news. And we'll finish up with chapter 3 today. Okay, uh, let's read the scripture. Romans 2. But if you bear the name Jew and rely upon the law and boast in God and know his will and distinguish between the essential things being instructed out of the law and are confident you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of the immature, having in the law the form of knowledge and of the truth, you, therefore, the one who teaches another, do you not teach yourself? You, the one who preaches, do not steal. Do you steal? You, the one who says, do not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You, the one who detests idols. Do you rob temples? As many as boast in the law, through the breaking of the law, do you not dishonor God? For the name of God, through you, is blasphemed among the Gentiles, just as it is written. For circumcision profits if you practice the law. But if you are a transgressor of the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcised keeps the requirements of the law, will not his circumcision be regarded as circumcision? And if the uncircumcised man, the one keeping the law, will he not judge you through the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one in appearance, nor is circumcision that which is in the appearance of the flesh, but he is a Jew inwardly, and circumcision of the heart is by the Spirit, not by the letter of the law, and his due is not from men, but from God. Let's, uh, let's open in prayer. Lord, I do pray that you would uh, guide me as I try to step out of the way once again and show the wonders of your word. 
the teaching of your word for believers who need to be encouraged and rebuked and admonished and instructed and taught and led along. And for those that don't know you, those that aren't in the family of God, Lord, we pray that they would understand that you love them, you sent Jesus for them, that by belief in you and what you've done on the cross, will forgive them of everything they've ever done wrong and guarantee their presence in your presence forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. So let's comment. Let's look back and comment on some of these uh, texts that we just looked at. Righty? These look like... Well, read these phrases for a minute. You know his will. You're able to distinguish between essential things. You're being instructed in the law. You're confident you're a guide to the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the, of the foolish, teacher of the immature, having in the, law, the knowledge and of the truth. Okay? These are kind of like, we kind of look down on sometimes the rabbi or the Pharisee or so forth. But aren't these, aren't these good things? Aren't these kind of the essentials of the ideal, not just teacher, but a disciple, a follower, the ideal Pharisee? A Pharisee, it was one who is separated out. That was not always like a bad term. That was supposed to be a good term, all right? These things, knowing the law, knowing what God wanted people to do, confident that someone could guide someone that was blind, confident that someone could be a light to those in darkness, to be instructor to the foolish. We don't use that word foolish very much because we consider it an insult, but, you know, someone that is unwise, and you're able to, to guide them. A teacher of the immature, that's what we as parents are supposed to be doing, Sometimes I think that, you know, we're just alongside our kids in that. Aren't these the ideal things? But here's what Paul says has happened. You, he says, you, the one who teaches another, don't you teach yourself? You preach, don't steal. Do you steal? Remember Jesus' words when he was saying, Mark 7, he said, it says, it says in Scripture, the Holy Scripture of the, of the Hebrew uh, faith and people, the Tanakh, it says, you know, uh, honor your father and mother. But you say, oh, I could have given this to my mom and my dad or whatever, but it is korban, given to God. So I give it to them. He says, aren't you, aren't you stealing? When you preach that, aren't you stealing from them? You, the one who says, don't commit adultery. Oh, we all know adultery is bad. Don't sleep with, have sex with anyone other than your spouse. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, in, in Matthew 5, he said, look, he says, you say don't commit adultery, but you look on someone with adultery in your heart, you've already undressed that person and had relations with them. Isn't that you've committed adultery with them already? And here's one that may not have a, those may not have a specific incident, but he says, you who detest idols, don't you rob temples? Now, it's kind of an interesting historic thing that happened here. Fluvia which was uh, Fulvia. Now, that's a common name. Don't confuse this with the wife of Mark Anthony, if you all you Roman historians. I know they're just loaded out there. But uh, this gal, this lady, was the wife of Saturnus, who was a, an amicus or a friend, counselor to Emperor Tiberius. Now, she became um, a proselyte to Judaism, which is pretty unusual. You're sitting in Rome, you know, in your big villa and everything, and she became a proselyte... Uh, to Judaism, to the Jews. So what happened was, oops, what happened? There we are. Four men, uh, 
leaders in the, uh, of Roman Judaism decided to disciple her, and they got contributions to give to the temple at Jerusalem. Only thing is, is they scammed her. They took that money, you know, they bought, I don't know, condos in South Spain. I don't know what they did. They took that money and that stole, they stole the money, and because of that, uh, the Jews were expelled from Rome. Now, they quickly came back to Rome because they were, this would have been 19 AD, like during the lifetime, the young lifetime of Jesus and of Paul, and the Jews were again expelled under uh, Claudius. That's how Priscilla and Aquila got kicked out of Rome, and then they hooked up with Apollos. Anyway, these things, he, he's referring, when he goes back here, he says, you, the one who detests idols, you've already robbed temples. He says, as, as many as boast in the law, through the breaking of the law, don't you, don't you dishonor God? And because of that, the name of God, Yahweh, Jehovah, was, was blasphemed amongst the Gentiles, all the nations, because of these things happening. So he says this. He says, look, Nicodemus, um, well, I'm going to get to Nicodemus in a minute. He says, circumcision profits if you practice the law, but if you're a transgressor of the law, your circumcision becomes, it does, it's meaningless. This is the uncircumcised. He's the one that's going to judge you. Now, back to this. The ideal Pharisee, the ideal worshiper of God, sometimes I think we, we miss the point with what is happening with Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees. There was an ideal, right? And there was a good part of Judaism. And the Pharisee, um, Hillel, some of you would know who this is. Hillel taught Gamaliel, and Paul studied in Gamaliel. And he was challenged, you know, can you recite the whole law while standing on one foot? You know the story. And uh, so he did. He said, what's hateful to you, don't do to your neighbor. This is the whole Torah. All the rest is commentary. So there's some good things. And if you notice that word sounds a little bit like what Jesus says, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. So there's a sense in the goodness of, of uh, what the Pharisees were teaching. Now, Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, what was the problem? Did Jesus have a problem with the law or obeying the law? No, Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law, not to destroy it. Remember the things that he did, the sacrifices and so forth? Um, other Pharisees that were in his life, Nicodemus, who came to him in John chapter 3. Okay, he came to him at night because he was a bit afraid. He, Nicodemus in John 7 tried to defend Jesus amongst the other Pharisees, and he got, you know, he got slammed down. He says, you know, so should we hear him out? And then in John 19, after Jesus had been executed, crucified, Nicodemus was one of the people that came to his, his tomb to anoint him with uh, spices and, and the oils that were necessary. Joseph of Arimathea, that was another Pharisee. And remember, Paul himself was a Pharisee. What was Jesus' problem? It wasn't with people obeying the law. It was hypocrisy. It was saying one thing and doing another. And that's what I think Paul's getting at here. That's what he's saying about, quote, Judaism and the Jew and obeying the law. He's saying, you say do these things, but you don't do them anyway. He says, the whole world's condemned. We saw that last week under chapter 1, and then the conscience, the conscience accuses you. And then now, here's the law. The covenanted people of Israel that God had chosen were drawn out, and you're supposed to look towards Yahweh God for your, your salvation and obey. And, but, you're, you know, the problem is hypocrisy. And then he goes on from there. He says, the person who is a Jew is not just a Jew in appearance, but is a person that has... Let me get the right text here. Oh, it's up to read it. 
is one that is a Jew inwardly and is circumcised his heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. Circumcised his heart, not by the Spirit, not by the letter of the law. One that has faith in, in the true God and in Jesus, the Messiah. And his due, I tried to make this a pun, because the word Jew and do is like rhyme or whatever, because remember, Judah means praise. My question for believers, are we praised? Do we bring praise to God in our lives when we cut people off? In the, I'm, I'm speaking to myself. My wife's back there. You can check with her. You know, on the bypass or whatever, we get angry at drivers that you know, cut us off or... We're upset with us, we're upset with us. Do we bring praise to God in our interactions at work when we're working with unbelievers or we're working with believers for that matter? What is our life like? That's where the true Judaism is in praise, praise to God. Now, Paul's point is that the whole world, including the Jews, fall short of that. Now, chapter 3, let's read some scripture here. Okay. Chapter 3, what is the advantage of the Jew, and what is the profit of the circumcision? Much more in all things. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. So what then? If some were without faith, their lack of faith will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? No way. Let God be true, though every man is a liar. Just as it is written that you may be justified in your words and may prevail... uh, while being judged. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? The God who inflicts wrath is not unrighteous, is he? I'm speaking like a man. No way. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if the truth of God through my lie abounded to his glory, why am I still being judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as is slanderously reported, and just as some affirm that we say, let's do evil in order that good may come. Their condemnation is just. Okay. Now, let's take a look at a few things here. What's the advantage of the Jew? Much more. They were entrusted. And that's what he uses. He says, the word says, what's the plus point? In other words, what's the upside of being Jewish if that doesn't get you to heaven? I mean, the thought was, I'm um, Jewish, so I'll automatically make it to the good side, you know, okay? And that's why people would proselyte, like Fulvia, the wife of this Roman fella. Well, well, if that ain't the case, then what is the, what's the upside? What's the advantage? What's the benefit? They were entrusted with the oracles of God. The oracles, the little words. Now, we know the word of God. These are the little words. These are the spoken words of God. I don't know if I wrote that down or not. The utterances and statement of, statements of God. You see, all the way back to Adam, right? Man and woman fell in the garden. They needed redemption, and God had a plan, and it was thousands of years, and it worked forward until Abram was called out, and he said, I'm going to make a nation out of it. Your people, all right? I'm calling Abram, and these will be the covenanted people of God. God chose them not because they were bigger or stronger or fatter or skinny or any of those things. He chose them because he chose them. He loved them. And he chose the Jewish people to send the Messiah, Mashiach, which in Greek is Christ, Christos, the anointed one, to send the Messiah 
who would deliver the whole world from sin. That's why God chose. And with that, he gave the Jews the oracles of God, his word. So that's, that's the advantage, okay? Now, he says, if someone were without faith, does that nullify the faithfulness of God? No way. By the way, that phrase, God forbid, or may it never be, it's in, throughout Paul's writings. I just kind of rendered it, no way. Because that's, that's, it's like you know, just slang, okay? No way is the faithlessness of Jewish people or of Gentile people or of any of us going to nullify God's promises. So you look at the big-time preachers or small-time preachers, for that matter, that fall in disgrace and sin and that sort of thing. That doesn't make God's word untrue. That doesn't nullify God's faithfulness, you know? It's sad. It's shameful. It's life. But that doesn't deny the truth of what God says in Scripture, that he has promised eternal life and abundant life through Jesus. So if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is the God who inflicts wrath unrighteous? Now, there's two things in this whole section that we're going to speak of. One we're going to speak of later and one for a different time. One is this whole idea, it's in, in, in the big word for it, it's called theodicy. And that is, what do you do with the problem of evil in the world? Okay? Now, you see somebody on the television, and they're a baddie, and the police come, and they shoot them up. And you think, that guy got his just desserts. That's what he deserves. What about innocent little boys and girls? They get shot up and murdered or killed. What do you do with that, that, that evilness in the world? Well, that's, that's a discussion for a different time, so we're not going to handle that. The other uh, issue has to deal with this whole idea of what Paul's being accused of. Let me give you my point right here. Let's do evil in order that good may come. We'll talk about that a little later. This concept of if, if Jesus has died for me and his grace is sufficient and forgives me, then the more I sin, the more forgiveness I get. You know? It's sort of like collecting stamps or whatever. The more I, so maybe we should just continue to live like evil people. And we're going to, he's going to, we're going to look at that a little later in chapter six, okay? But moving on, he says, this whole new section, and we'll read this. So what then? Do I have it here? Yeah, well, this is just my intro to it. The whole new section, he's dealt with the Jews, and now he's kind of going to talk about everybody, Jews and the Gentile, that we're all under sin. Here's the scripture. So what then? Are we better than they, we Jews? Not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin, just as it is written. And here he goes into a discussion. If I might as well mention it now rather than later. Let's see. Yeah. This is a collection of verses from the Old Testament, the Tanakh, the whole Hebrew Scriptures, at least ten different passages, Psalms, Isaiah, uh, this is pretty common to do what were called testimonies. And he makes this collection, and he, he just a few comments on it. Paul says this, There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who grasps or comprehends what's going on. There's none that seeks after God. And you say, well, that, that, I know people that have uh, sought after God. Well, I mean, naturally, no, nobody does. Remember the teaching of Jesus and the Holy Spirit in John 6? He says the Holy Spirit, Jesus himself said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Then he says in John 16, he says, 
the Holy Spirit will convict people of their sin, of righteousness, of judgment to come, and people will be drawn, and people will come into the door of the church or come to your door in the neighborhood and knock on your door and say, hey, I'm really confused. Can you help me? People will be drawn. But by nature, people do not seek God. They just don't. None of us do. None of us do. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. That word useless is to go bad, or as the English would say, to go off. My dad was always wondering, hmm, where do they go off? Like milk that goes sour, you know. We've all become soured milk. There's none that does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. They smooth, the Hebrew says, they smooth their tongues and fool people. The poison of asps, that's one of the most poisonous snakes of the Middle East. It's under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are their ways. Destruction is to crush, right? Crushing, okay? Uh, Fracturing. In the way of peace, they have not known. There's no fear before of God before their eyes. Now, that's pretty sobering. But let's continue with what he says. We know that whatever the law says, it says to those under or in the law, in order that every mouth may be closed and all the world may become accountable to God. Because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. When they put a speed limit sign up and it says 35 and you go 45, now you know. There's no speed limit sign. I guess you just have to look at Pen, Pen Dot's manual and driver manual. I forget what, what is it? Like divided highways is 50 or, uh, I don't know. You kids, whoever's left can tell us whatever the highway code says because I forget. But if, if there's no law there, there's no law, then I suppose when they brought in unleaded gas, they had to pass a law that says, look, don't put leaded gas in an unleaded car because that's against the law. And you do that, you break the law. Right? For by the law comes knowledge of sin. But most importantly that you'll see, no flesh, no person will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. Right? We know that whatever the law says, it says to those under the law, in order that every mouth may be stopped. I know you can't get away with this, teachers, in school anymore with the duct tape, but uh, (laughs) that's how it should be. All of our mouths are stopped, are closed, and that the world may become accountable to God because by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. Okay? Now, apart from the law, righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ in regard to all who believe. For there's no distinction... For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I think this is clear. I don't need to make it clear enough. You know, you come short of the glory of God. You ever see these hill climb? At least when I was a kid, you know, I lived in the Midwest and we didn't have much to do. So, uh, get a muddy hill on a Jeep or a motorcycle. I've done it on a motorcycle. And they try, try, try to get up the hill. And some guys like, you know, win the first 10 feet and almost all the way. Yeah, we back down, you know. Who reached the top of the hill? Well, nobody. This guy that was here, or this guy that was here, still didn't. We all fell short. 
We all fell short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption in Jesus Christ. Now, let's move through some of this. By the redemption, that word redemption there, being released through ransom. And we're going to talk about this idea a little bit later in John 5, I mean in Romans 5. So we'll just leave that for now. But the idea of being justified, the idea of being justified, what is it? Well, there are lawyers present, so I'm in big trouble now. But justification is being declared righteous. It's being declared righteous. It's not, it's not case dismissed, no charges brought. I won't comment, okay? You know, no matter what, there might be evidence, there might be sufficient warrant or whatever. The DA says, hmm, I'm not going to bring a charge up because I'm not going to win. So the cases are dismissed, no charges brought. That's not justified. Justified is not acquittal. Acquittal is a trial before a jury of your peers or a single judge, and the evidence is given, and the verdict is you're innocent. doesn't matter if you're innocent or not, as we know from the famous 20 years ago. It doesn't matter if you're... Oh, kids, you can ask me later who that is. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're innocent or not, but the jury acquits you. So, you're, so that's not justification. Uh, justification is not a pardon. A pardon is what the president does in the last couple of weeks of his presidency, and all the big donors get pardoned for their tax evasion or something like that, you know? Republicans as well as Democrats. They've got to tar everybody with the same brush, okay? A pardon is when you're guilty, you're sent up, up river you know, to, to the Hooskow, but you are pardoned by the governor or by the president or whoever. You're guilty, but you're pardoned. It's not that. And a, a, a justification is not sentence served. You know, five years, armed robbery, you serve your five years. Justification is to be declared righteous. To be said to be declared righteous by the authority, the supreme authority, in this case, God. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to the sinner. I'll explain that word. What is impute? To ascribe something to someone else by virtue of a quality in another. So Jesus, who is perfect, who lived a sinless life, died on the cross, and his righteousness was imputed, given to me. Uh, Human illustrations, you know, you can say uh, you're given... Well, here's one I, I thought of. Your granddad, you know, well, let's make it your father in this case. Father fights in Vietnam and wins the Medal of Honor and has this glory and everything. And one of the things that you would get as a child of him would be free education at one of the military academies, West Point, Air Force, or Annapolis. That's true. You would get that as a Medal of Honor winner. Your children would. You didn't do anything for that. That quality of your Father's bravery was imputed, given to you. And that's what the righteousness of Christ was like, imputed to us. Likewise, our sin is imputed to Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. When he hung on the cross, our sin was dumped on him. It was imputed to him. So that's why we often use the little hand gesture thing, you know, like this, and you've seen it if you're an old-timer, right? And And here's Jesus who knew no sin, and he became sin for us. Our sin was imputed to him. 
and our, his righteousness was imputed to us. If you don't know what that means, then that is something that you need to get right with God today. Today, please do, all right? Now, let's move through some of this more quickly because of time. So what was, uh, what was actually accomplished by this whole ransom? Well, we're going to talk about that later. But we know that Jesus said, I came not to uh, be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. The Son of Man has come to give his life as a ransom. We'll talk about that in, in uh, future weeks. But moving on. Whom God publicly displayed as a propitiation through faith in his blood for demonstrating his righteousness on account of passing over of sins previously committed in the forbearance of God for the demonstration of righteousness so that he is the just and the justifier of one who has faith in Jesus. Now, what does all that mean, briefly? Propitiation. It's a really odd term. We don't use it in English. This is a couple different forms. This form is only used twice. Here in the New Testament, Greek scriptures, it means in Hebrew to be a covering. And as you looked at the mercy, the, the Ark of the Covenant, there was a cover to it. That mercy seat is the propitiation. That is the covering right here. And on Yom Kippur, once a year, the, whole, the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and put the blood on that covering as a propitiation for sins. Why? To cover sins. Because according to the law, all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness or no remission, Hebrew says. Now, let me just go through this kind of quickly, and we're going to have to go backwards. What did that blood on the mercy seat actually do? It stood to pass over sins, demonstrating his righteousness for passing over sins previously committed in the forbearance of God. I'm going to do this real quick. Adam, Eve, sinned at the garden. They were standing there, butt naked, and they knew it. Well, that wasn't their issue. The issue was is they knew they had sinned and rebelled against God, and they were hiding. So what was the first thing that God did? He had to kill some animals to make skins for them. Death was introduced. Blood sacrifice. And you go on through Scripture to Noah and into the patriarchs and into the time of Abraham when he became Abraham and became the father of the people of, of Israel, the Jews, the Hebrews, and sacrifices, blood sacrifices. And then finally, I mean, we're looking at still another 450 years or longer to the time of Moses when the law was given. Those sacrifices simply covered sin. They didn't forgive sin. They did not forgive sin. They were a covering for sin, waiting for the arrival of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, who was the Messiah, the anointed one, God himself, who would die on the cross to pay for our sins. They say, why did it have to be so complicated? Well, that's because we live in a linear world. Tomorrow, we're all going to get up and go to work, except for me, I'm taking the day off, I'm going to Belmore, okay? I'm going to the beach. You know, I mean, and then the day after that, I have to go into work and catch up on the work that I missed out on Monday, Right? We live in this linear world. So back in the time of Adam and then moving ahead to Noah and those things, Jesus hadn't come yet, but he would come. Galatians 4, chapter 4. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law in order to redeem those who were under the law. So they had to have this. So we're waiting. Here we have the people of Israel and the covenant 
And then finally, Moses, the lawgiver, and the law, and all those sacrifices that covered sin. Sins were covered up until Jesus Christ, Messiah, came to give himself as sacrifice. And that's clearly stated in the scripture in Hebrews, right here. Every priest stands daily ministering, offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But Jesus, that's the he here, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. That's the importance of the sacrifice of Jesus. Okay? So, a couple more minutes, then we're done. Where's boasting, then? It's excluded. By what kind of law? Works? No, but by the law of faith. For we reckon that a man is justified, declared righteous by faith, apart from the works of the law. Is God only a God of the Jews? No. Is he not God of the nations? Yes, he is. Since God is the one who will justify the circumcision by faith, that's the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, and the uncircumcision, that's everybody else, through faith. Therefore, do we make void the law through faith? No way. Rather, we establish the law. And with that, we'll close, except for just a couple of points. The law, or obedience of the law, is not a bad thing. God instituted this law in the time of uh, Moses, and he instituted it for some reasons. What was a bad thing was the hypocrisy. The main thing about the law is the law was not a bad thing, but it can't save. It just, it, it can't do that. It just cannot save you. And that's clear from both the Old Testament Tanakh, the, the scriptures, and the New Testament. Hypocrisy is my problem as much as the other guy. I look at the Pharisees, and Jesus had the criticisms of them, and, oh, you know, you guys are doing this. He says, look, you tithe mint and cumin and all these herbs and spices, but you neglect righteousness and mercy and justice. You should have done the one, but also the other. You can do them little things if you want, but the main thing is you're neglecting. The hypocrisy was the issue with the law, right? Either way, it can't save. All of sin in every mouth is stopped before God. I think one of our main obstacles, especially in our time, unless you're dealing with some issue or in your life, most of us don't think we're all that bad. I hope you've understood in the first three chapters of this book, we've seen we are. We fall way short, way short, infinitely short of God's glory. That's why we need a Savior. Our mouths should be stopped. The death of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross is the only way to be right with God, the only way to have eternal life, the only way to be forgiven of what you've done wrong, the only way to have a relationship with Jesus in a, quote, home in heaven, if that's what you're looking. I mean, we say home in heaven, oh, go to heaven. Yeah, that's important. But you know what's most important is me knowing God and God knowing me and living this abundant life here on earth. And that's the only way that that can be accomplished, not through anything you've done, but through what Jesus has done. And the only thing that you can do is place your faith in him if you haven't done that before today. Let's pray.